0: I just want to mention, if you're if you're tuning in via Zoom, especially from, uh, you know, locations outside of the Ann Arbor area, or if you need to continue watching via Zoom, Zoom Church continues every Sunday. So we have a in-person hybrid thing. So we'll be connecting with the people meeting in person via Zoom. And uh, so Zoom continues. So uh, Lent begins a week from Wednesday. No, no. No, Emily told me Lent begins this Wednesday and lasts for 40 days. Uh, That doesn't count Sundays. A a little church trivia for you there. So after Emily spoke on the uh, reasons behind the elements of our service last Sunday, um, and by the way, I find that very helpful. Like uh, I was part of helping to create the Sunday service, but hearing that presentation, um, just made the service more meaningful to me. So get that get that uh, sermon if you missed it last week. But and your and you'd, you'd like to enhance your experience of the Sunday services. Um, so today I thought I would follow up something on the church seasons uh, because Lent is one of the seasons of the church calendar. So what we call the church calendar features three special seasons. Uh, one of which is Lent, um, evolved from the sacred calendar of ancient israel which in turn developed as an alternative approach to time as an act of cultural political and spiritual resistance so let's consider that as a background to this idea of church calendar and special seasons in the church calendar Um, the hebrew bible um, was actually gathered in written form as a collection of sacred writings during the time of the Babylonian exile and the period maybe 70 years later, later when the exiles returned, so we're talking roughly 500 B.C. The Babylonian exile, of course, was a time of collecta, collective trauma for the people of Israel. The, the Babylonians in, invaded the land of Israel, plundered the temple, killing, pillaging, and the rest. And then they selected mostly uh, members of the uh, Judah elite, the Jerusalem elite, and forcibly marched them to Babylon. So that's the context for the effort to gather uh, the oral traditions and maybe whatever written stories were laying around and brought with them into a collection that became um, what's now called the Hebrew Bible Bible or sometimes Christians call it the Old Testament, even though the New Testament is pretty old by now too. So that includes the Hebrew Bible, the Law of Moses, the first five books, the wisdom writings, things like Psalms and Job, and then the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the Thunderers. So these writings functioned for the people of Israel as a theology of resistance. Uh, and, And part of that Resistance involved an alternative approach to time. So, for example, in Babylon, every seventh day was called an evil day in which certain things were prohibited. And it was only one of four evil days uh, that was a a day of rest. So, once a month, there was a day of rest in Babylon. In Babylon, on this evil day, uh, the one of four, sacrifices were offered to placate a pagan deity and and the idea was to keep the deity off their backs so the the exiles utterly rejected this understanding of sacrifice their word for sacrifice was drawn from the verb draw near and sacrifice for the israelites was an act of friendship with god the idea of calming an enraged deity was pagan to them Someone should tell Christians that, uh, but I digress. The Jewish seventh day, so different, was a blessed day, a day of rest in which God and the people together took delight in each other and the world God created and filled with God's presence, according to their origin myth, which is in Genesis 1, which was written as a kind of protest against the Babylonian origin myth, the myth of Gilgamesh. You can imagine how oppressive the babylonian approach to time was for the exiles oppression always involves psychological and spiritual torture along with threats to physical safety so you know we shouldn't be surprised when our indigenous siblings don't hop on the thanksgiving bandwagon for example so the jewish uh, exiles in babylon they were enacting an alternative approach to time as as like a antidote to the cultural brainwashing around them. So it was an act of political, cultural, personal, spiritual resistance. And that's how the church calendar at its best can function for us. So as the church morphed over maybe the first 400 years of uh, church history from a movement within ancient Judaism to then over time, one composed and run by non-Jewish Gentiles, that's the Jewish term for the nations other than Israel. The three major multi-day feasts of ancient Israel were replaced by the three major multi-day seasons of the church calendar, focused on the life of Jesus, Jesus being the bridge for the nations to the God of Israel, understood as the loving creator of heaven and earth and a god of justice so the church year begins in late november with advent and runs up uh, to up to four weeks until christmas Um, that's the first special season the second special season begins 40 days before easter uh, the beginning of the season we call lent so the 40 days of lent are like symbolically are an echo of the 40 years of wilderness sojourn depicted in the book of exodus as the emancipated hebrews took the wandering circular lullagagging route to the promised land lent is also patterned after the preparation period that jesus undertook removing himself to the judean wilderness outside of jerusalem for 40 days to get his mind clear Immediately after his baptism by John in the Jordan, when the Spirit alighted on him, so forty—you know—is it's an epic number. As many of you who have turned forty in recent memory now, um, it, it's the you, year you say, "Oh, I'm I'm undeniably an adult," and this is likely the halfway mark for my life. Uh, what's it all about, Alfie? It's it's a time of reflection and assessment. So Lent can be, if we want it to be, a season of reflection, of focus, and of connection. So it can be a time to focus on connecting with God, connecting with ourselves, connecting with one another, connecting with the wider world. So the whole enchilada uh, can be incorporated into Lent. Uh, And the focus of Lent is making room for life-enhancing connections. Remember, for these exiles in Babylon, God was the life-giving God and was the God of life. So, one suggestion is that during Lent, you might focus on forming or reinforcing one new connection-enhancing habit. Now, it, it takes extra focus to start a new habit or strengthen a languishing one, And the brain, I guess, can only handle one habit formation focus at a time, so it doesn't really work to try to start three new habits at one time. Um, Lovely thing about habits, once you put in the initial energy and effort to establish the habit, the brain finds its groove, and and the body just does the thing that has been habituated without much fuss also the problem with addiction, but there's an upside to the way the brain works too. So, okay, bragging a little bit. uh, I have, since I started my half time, uh, I wanted to start a new little habit. So my new habit was uh, bed making. I make the bed uh, every morning, but only I do it artistically. Uh, It's it's the way I'm making the bed. It's like a fine art. I got like a bed runner and I learned how to tuck everything in really cool. And I actually ordered a couple of different uh, pillowcases so I can, you know, put that in. Um, So uh, a fine approach to Lent is to pick a new habit that scratches an itch you can feel. That aids and abets you in forming a more life-giving connection to God, yourself, others, the wide world uh you choose so that's a big connection playground by the way no need to get all religious about it um uh but trust the spirit to uh nudge you in a good for you direction and look for a sense of oh you know i'd really like to do that i I mean if this habit were part of my life i'd really i'd really love that you know maybe it's a meditative practice Maybe it's reading a novel you've been neglecting. Maybe it's starting a bedtime ritual that includes a little prayer, starting a terrarium and tending it, sending a caring text to someone every day, writing a poem or a song, sitting down, lighting a candle, and listening to some music for 10 minutes a day, uh, a daily walk. And just anything that will get you into a groove That you'd like to be in for your well-being i have a very narrow range of ideas since i'm not the spirit who brooded over the waters prior to creation so come up with something for me i use lent to distance myself from the time sucks created by 28 year old white males graduated from harvard in computer science writing algorithms to grab my attention without my intention so a few, a few Lent's back, it dawned on me uh, to take the Facebook app off my uh, smartphone. And oh, what a relief it was at, after I got over missing it, which took a while. I also tried turning my phone screen to black and white, but I have backslid since then and got it back to color. So that's part of their, you know, grab your attention without your intention strategy. Oh, well, it's working. Nifty thing about Lent. It takes about six weeks, we're told, um, six weeks of intention to establish a new habit. And Lent is about six weeks, perfect. Okay, two suggestions for how to approach Lent if you're using it to form a new habit or maybe rehabbing a faltering uh, one. First of all, focus on intention rather than willpower in the habit formation phase of things. So some forms of spirituality put a lot of stock in making promises, resolutions to do better, uh, fosters a lot of self-talk in the stern lecture format. Uh, I've tried it, didn't like it, doesn't work so well. So we're we're not all goal-setting hedge fund managers who are incredibly fit and listen to motivational podcasts in every spare moment. The Hebrew term for our internal intention setter is is the heart. The heart is what aims us in a particular direction. Uh, Emily spoke of our opening statement for Sunday as something by which we state our intention for the time we're together. Now, I noticed that helped me this morning to focus on that opening statement when we opened our Time together. Uh, the song, the gratitude song, also does that. So you've got a couple opportunities at the beginning of the service to set our intention, and that it improves our experience. It turns out, if before you go to sleep at night, that is a really good time, um, in terms of the, how the brain works, to set an intention for the coming day. So you pick out one thing you want to accomplish in the, in the uh, day to come, or one attitude you want to foster, whatever it is for the coming day, and you set that intention. I look forward to thus and so tomorrow. That act of setting our intention actually increases our chances of doing that thing. Uh, but intention needs to be stated compassionately and positively. So it's not, I should go to the gym, or even I promise to myself to go to the gym or whatever it is. Intention is different than promise or willpower. Think of intention as a non-binding, gently stated, but clearly focused function of the imagination wrapped in the language of desire. So if we take the time to set an intention, especially at night before we go to sleep, our brain will naturally organize around that intention and it's more likely to happen uh, the next. It's not magic, but it increases the odds that that thing will happen. Second thing um, about using intention as a way of forming a new habit is connect your intention as you make it in a way that it offers a side benefit to others, meaning, meaning be aware while you're setting your intention that it will have a side benefit to others in addition to yourself. So the intention is something your heart wants. It's something your heart desires, but it's enhanced if you include a side benefit to others as part of the intention. So the ethic highlighted by Jesus, Paul, and James in various ways in the New Testament writings is love your neighbor as yourself. It's from Leviticus 19, uh, selections of which we're in our reading today. You shall not hold a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When an alien actually let's use foreigner alien has been kind of an abused term of late when a foreigner resides with you in your land you shall not oppress the foreigner the not from around here person who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you we're meant to have like an inclusive welcoming approach to immigrants You shall love them as yourself, for you were immigrants in the land of Egypt. Remember, I am the Lord your God. So, the preeminent uh, Jewish scholar of Leviticus, Jacob Milgram, says, This is the ethical pinnacle of all of Scripture. Now, that's fascinating. Love of God is not the ethical pinnacle but it's combined with the ethical pinnacle of all of Scripture. And the genius of love your neighbor as yourself, as the ethical pinnacle, is the way it creates synergy, or it leverages synergy. Loving others helps us to love ourselves, and loving ourselves helps us to love others. It, it, it like frees psychic energy that we can use to love others when we're loving ourselves. And perhaps the God we might prefer over all others is the one who empowers us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when our vision of God loses that focus, perhaps it's a sign that it's a distorted vision of God. So, this statement love your neighbor as yourself and its companion, love the immigrant in your land as yourself, occurs in Leviticus, a book that's concerned about people living in their land. We also desire naturally to live in our own land, but they're also enjoined these people um, that are living in their land to be a blessing and a benefit to others, not their own kin, who live there also. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love yourself as your neighbor. Synergy. Uh, the one enhances the other so narcissism is a sundering of that synergy but so is self-hatred uh by the way if, if you're struggling with maintaining a compassionate view of yourself and i i think we're all struggling with that and in covid when there's just so much external pressure on our on our lives or whatever um I discovered this on my seventieth birthday. Um, uh, Julia put a picture of me as a young child on the refrigerator for the, my seventieth birthday. Um, she put this picture on the on the fridge. I'm just checking to make sure you can see it. Oh, look at that little guy! oh his uh, his front teeth grew before, and then his face had to grow into his front teeth. And look at those glasses. He's got the same glasses at the age of seventy as he did there in the fourth grade. I think when that picture. What a ah, love that little guy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to look at a picture of yourself at a, at a young age, and and keep stewing in your like self-critical thoughts. And so I've noticed as I, I the picture's been on the on the refrigerator for the. For the past uh, few weeks that i i stop and i look at it and it has the effect of like um just centering my perspective of myself with with more kindness and compassion you know god regards us as we regard children and i don't know if you're on the meet and greet we're always just like so glad to see the kids on the meet and greet and that's that's the feeling that is behind this idea that we are children in relation to God. But back to our point, connect your intention as you make it a way that it provides a side benefit to others. Um, If you're using intention as a way to um, start a new habit. I learned this uh, principle of including uh, benefit to others as you set your intention for yourself uh, I learned it from doing Headspace, the uh, meditation app. Now they, they include it now and again in some of the meditations. The benefit of considering others when you set an intention for yourself is uh, something they emphasize. So w- what it just means is as you're setting your intention, you just take a moment to imagine how that intention for the thing that you wanna do for yourself has a side benefit benefit for others around you. So it's like, you know, I want to take five or ten minutes a day to meditate, and I can imagine how that might benefit the people around me as I myself would like to be around a less wound up version of myself, and wouldn't that be nice for the people I interact with too? Maybe we interact with others focused only on what's in it for me, Well, whenever we do that, that ensures there's less in it for me. So Oceana, I think in high school, my stepdaughter was interviewing her adored uh, grandfather named Gaffer, who who I have a grandfather uh, crush on. He's my father-in-law, actually. And Oceana, for a class or whatever, was interviewing her Gaffer about his core values, uh, spirituality, especially going to church. He's a lifelong uh, churchgoer is a core value of Gaffer's. And he brings this up. So they talk about, you know, why go to church? Oceana is commenting on what she gets, but especially what she doesn't get out of going to church. And Gaffer offered this gem. Why go to church, Oceana? Not just for what you get or what you may feel, but also for the blessing others receive from you, often unbeknownst. That would be a classic aphorism unbeknownst. So this applies to all the places we go to, to interact with others. Um, like a 12 step group, you know, if you've been part of a 12th group, you know, maybe on a given day, you, you're not going for yourself. It's like, ugh, I'm dragging myself to this group. Uh, but you go for others. And it ends up helping you when you go for others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love yourself as your neighbor, synergy. So, as we anticipate the forty days of Lent, um, which begins on Wednesday, Tuesday is uh, Punchki Day. Um, Christians are great, you know. Like we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna be like fasting and discipline for for forty days. So let's, you know, let's uh, let a rip on uh, the day before. Um, I don't know. It just seems weird. Um, um, but, but. I think it should be the 41 days of Lent and, in, and include Punchki Day. I'm way off track. As we anticipate the 40 days of Lent, um, as a season to focus on reflection and connection, and maybe employing the power of intention to form a new habit, be open to forming or strengthening a faltering habit or practice that will benefit you with a side benefit to others as part of your motivation for forming it. Okay, let's take the next couple of minutes to let our minds wander around that portion of scripture um, read for us today. I couldn't help think of our Afghan family, you know, mom, dad, four kids, perilous time in Afghanistan, we can't even imagine. Perilous journey to the United States, getting out of Afghanistan in that chaotic period, uh, staying for weeks in a tent in Wisconsin in, in the winter, arriving here without knowing English yet, you know, finding housing, being in a temporary place, needing to move into another place, getting help from our church and Westminster Presbyterian. Uh, many of you made a d- donation. There's a, a team uh, working on it. What an honor to be a channel of God's care for this family. M- maybe you want to focus on them or anything else your mind may wander to as I read the, the text this morning with a half minute of silence in between each reading for our reflection time. So let's just begin by getting comfortable in our chair or whatever, wherever we are and centering with a few deep breaths into the nose, out to the mouth. Just feel your body expand and relax as you do that. Go ahead. Now I'll read our portion for today. You shall not hold a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When an immigrant resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the immigrant. The immigrant who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love them as yourself, for you were immigrants in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Let's sit with that for a half minute. second time. You shall not hold a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When an immigrant resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the immigrant. The immigrant who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love them as yourself, for you were immigrants in the land of Egypt I am the Lord, your God. Another pause to reflect. And then, one last reading. You shall not hold a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When an immigrant resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the immigrant. The immigrant who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love them as yourself, for you were immigrants in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Amen.